Welcome to the Red Words Podcast, where we pursue a personal relationship with God the Father and His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Join us weekly as we deep dive into the dynamic and oftentimes curious Holy Spirit-inspired Book of God's Word. In this third installment in the Book of Revelation series, we continue in Chapter 2, verses 4 through 7, regarding the church at Ephesus. The Lord Jesus Christ told the church that He is with them, walking among them, observing what they do and how they do it. He praised the church at Ephesus for persevering and working hard to protect themselves from false prophets, misinformation, and evil. But there's something we need to understand before we continue and that is the importance of the lampstands and the reason Jesus walks among them. First, the lampstands represent past and present-day churches. Well, what constitutes a church? It's made up of varying parts, right? To simplify, the Lord's church is made up of leadership, congregations, and individuals to whom the Lord has given instructions. Regardless of each person's placement within the church, they are individually responsible for hearing and obeying the instructions in the seven letters. Secondly, Jesus clearly and precisely proclaimed who he was and why he was sent to earth in his declaration account in Luke 4, 16-21. I'll paraphrase. During his ministry, Jesus traveled to his hometown of Nazareth to declare himself the Son of God. Jesus went into the Nazarene synagogue on Sabbath and read from Isaiah 61, verses 1 and 2a. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord hath anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. He hath sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to them that are bound, and to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Incredulously, he stopped reading at a comma and did not complete the passage which explains why he came to earth. He purposefully stopped reading to leave that part out. Instead, Jesus said, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Claiming he was the long-awaited Jewish Messiah caused an uproar. Those present in the synagogue dragged Jesus to a cliff and attempted to throw him off. So what does Isaiah 61 verse 2b say? To proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God. Whoa! He shared who he is but refused to warn his countrymen about the future day of vengeance of his father. Jesus walked away from that cliff unharmed, for it was not yet his time to die. But what was the meaning of all this? As Jesus said, he came to serve, but his ultimate reason was to declare himself the Messiah, Savior to the lost. This public declaration in Nazareth was another step in God's plan to reverse the original sin committed by Adam and Eve. Jesus told his hometown that he is God, sent in the flesh 
to be their savior. They didn't believe him because they wanted their savior to be a mighty warrior king who would defeat the Roman occupation of their lands. The Jews believed this because they also believed he was coming only to save Jews. It was unthinkable to them that God would come to save all mankind, and they rejected that notion outright. Yet, the all-powerful Son of God did exactly that. He came to earth to provide the only way back to the original perfection he created in Jews and Gentiles alike, just as it was in the Garden of Eden. But Jesus refused to complete the scripture regarding that future day of God's vengeance because he needed to build his church first. He needed his church in place to reach every single person possible with his offer of salvation. In the 2,000 plus years since his ascension to heaven, the church of Jesus Christ has reached many millions of people. And throughout that time period, Jesus Christ has walked spiritually among the lampstands, the churches, guiding and correcting and furthering his Father's plan to overcome the original sin. He did all of this to save the inhabitants of earth from eternal punishment because Jesus wants to see every single person redeemed. Jesus needs his church body of believers to be his hands and feet. They are tasked to present the Great Commission, the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, to the lost. And so that comma between Isaiah 61 verses 2a and 2b represents two millennia, and in that time period, Jesus' church has gone forth and taught his Great Commission. But think about this. In that same time period, the body of Jesus Christ, Jesus' church, has also been waiting that long for God to release his son back to earth so they could once again be with him in person. And Jesus, too, has been waiting for his father's timing, for he knows full well the next time he comes to earth, he will arrive as the avenging mighty right hand of God, as King Jesus, and he will take back everything that belongs to him. Therefore, the seven letters are his first and his final instructions to his church, and they must be heard and obeyed so the lost can be offered salvation. With that understanding, let's move on to verse 4 and part of verse 5 as the Lord continues his letter to the church at Ephesus. But I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Therefore, Remember from where you have fallen, and repent and do the deed you did at first. Jesus' seven letters are filled to the brim with information that is easy to follow if the listener's heart and mind are committed to him. Take note that Jesus compliments first, admonishes second, and instructs third, which shows his commitment to maintaining a positive relationship Jesus desires the church at Ephesus to return to him like they did at first. He reminds them of their commitment to the first commandment, love God before everything else. He wants them to recognize how far they've fallen away, ask his forgiveness, and love him foremost. 
In Luke 10, 27, we read exactly what Jesus wants from the first commandment. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind. That pretty much covers every aspect, doesn't it? For the believer, one who truly seeks and loves God, the first commandment is the single most important thing they should do. Because the believer's deep, enduring hope and joy and peace in the Lord God, their heartfelt desire to fear and respect and commit to Him, turns the Lord's heart toward that person. Praise and worship is the normal result of deep love and affection for God, along with a desire to serve Him above all else. These commitments drive the believer ever closer to a loving God, and a loving God ever closer to them. So what did the church at Ephesus fall away from? In Acts 19.19, we learn that in the beginning, the Ephesus leadership and congregation loved Jesus so much, they burned all their magic books, worth 50,000 pieces of silver. Wow, that was a fortune then, and it's still a fortune today but they didn't hesitate. That's how in love they were with the Lord Jesus. But something changed. The church became so busy bustling about, testing false prophets and protecting themselves from evil, that they stopped loving the Lord their God and took great pride in their work instead. They stopped praising and worshiping Him. They stopped looking to Him first. Their work became personal gain and that always results in waning love. Jesus wanted their love back. He did not want their love to dry up completely. He wanted Ephesus to eliminate their sense of self and return to him immediately. But why? Because he longed for the sweetness he once had with this church. He desired their surrender to him. He longed to receive their love the same way he loved them. You see, Ephesus in the Greek means desiring. God is love. Jesus is love. And he desired Ephesus. And this is the reason he writes to Ephesus first, to tie together his desire for the churches with the first commandment to love the Lord your God. You see, then and now, Jesus desires all humanity return to him, commit to him, and have a personal relationship with him. Now, here's the most difficult part people have about how Revelation is worded. Jesus desires this church so much he commands them to turn around or else he will seek vengeance against them. Punishment corrects a person when they've done wrong and they refuse to acknowledge and come back to what is correct. But Jesus, in his ultimate kindness, uses punishment as his last resort. But why use punishment at all? Well, because the disobedience within the church at Ephesus had consequences. Listen to the rest of verse 5. Or else I am coming to you and will remove your lampstand out of its place, unless you repent. This ultimatum was necessary because the consequences of their disobedience would affect 
non-believing Ephesians. Jesus was not threatening to take away their salvation or their inheritance to live in heaven. No, no, that's not it. Their hard work and perseverance caused them to be doctrinally correct, but they'd lost their love for their fellow Ephesian citizens. This church was so busy protecting themselves from their Ephesian brothers, they couldn't see that the one who created them also created the rest of the people in the city. The Lord Jesus had placed this church inside the city of Ephesus to show deep love and affection for everyone living there. He desired the inhabitants of Ephesus to turn away from the murderous Greek goddess Artemis and come to him for salvation. And he needed the church to do this service for him. He needed them to act as his hands and feet, but they'd stopped showing love and compassion, and they'd separated themselves instead. Yes, the church should prayerfully remain strong and resilient and responsible in the Lord Jesus. And if they'd remained thus, he would have protected them. Their job was to show love. He would take care of all the rest, including protection. And remember, Jesus commended them for a long list of good things. He was simply asking that they return to him and love him according to the first commandment, because they must work within his love to turn the Artemis worshipers toward God. In verse 6, Jesus softens his tone and praises this church one more time before he signs off. Yet this you do have, that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Um, so who are these Nicolaitans? In the Greek, Nico means victor over, and Laos means the people. Nicolaitans are church leaders who demand their congregations serve them instead of the other way around. Jesus abhors Nicolaitans because in his teachings... He personally demonstrated that he came to earth to serve all people. He demonstrated that he came to be a sacrifice for all people. Jesus served unconditionally, and he died unconditionally. He taught and healed and made blind people see again, the mute to speak, the deaf to hear. He did this for people regardless of whether they believed who he was or not. And then he bathed his disciples' feet as an act of service to show them exactly what serving means, because Jesus is the living testimony of God's abundant love toward all humanity. Jesus also came to earth to proclaim relationship is more important than the law especially the man-made law the Jewish leadership had distorted for their own gain. They desired above all else to be honored and highly esteemed by their congregations, opposite of what church leadership are required to do, which is serve their congregations. But the Jewish Pharisees and Sadducees viewed themselves above everybody else. They taxed their congregations so they could live like kings. They demanded respect in return for nothing. They lorded themselves over everyone. Of course, other man-made religions do the same thing. 
asking their congregations to pay to light a candle, pay to get a family member out of purgatory, a place that doesn't even exist. These congregations must go through layers of priests and bishops and other church leaders before they can get to God. Jesus hates Nicolaitans because he was the reverse. He represents great love, and out of that love he served. He died for one and all so we could be with him and Father God forever. There is only one layer to God, and that is through his Son. So here's how all of this ties together for the church at Ephesus and for believers today. Church leaders, love the Lord first. Then serve your congregations in love. Seek and meet their needs in the Lord's name. Then teach them to do the same. Church congregations, love the Lord first. Learn from church leadership and then go out and serve people in love. Individual believer, love the Lord first, then lovingly serve within the church congregation, and then go out and serve people according to His will for you. This becomes the activity that is called the Great Commission, the gospel of the good news of Jesus Christ upon which His church is founded to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind leads the believer into loving service that benefits the lost and shows them how much God loves them. That first commandment service-oriented life, which comes from his will for each believer, ripples outward and brings the lost to the Lord Jesus Christ where they can make a decision for him. At that point, the Lord Jesus brings the new believer to God the Father. And finally, here is the last verse to the Ephesian church. Revelation chapter 2 verse 7. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will grant to eat of the tree of life which is in the paradise of God. Verse 7 circles back to the first Red Words podcast and the importance of every single person hearing the Word of God because the information is that vital. Why? Because when the believer hears and obeys, their relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ is upgraded to a new status, that of the faithful overcomer. Jesus rewards these believers and they will rule and reign with him in his millennial kingdom for 1,000 years. And at the end, will eat from the tree of life in the kingdom of God forever. So, there are four points to the takeaway. Number one, at the end of the first letter, we have a great understanding that Jesus wants the reader to recognize that the book of Revelation is prophetically declaring God's plans for the future. We're going to see this theme throughout the seven letters. Number two, as we move through life, believers must remember to love the Lord their God with all they have and then obey and serve his will for them. Number three, Listeners need to understand that Satan wants God's beloved separated 
and he will do everything in his considerable power to make that happen. He will send blatantly evil people into churches. He will turn church leaders from serving their congregations into demanding that they be served. Satan will niggle into prideful hearts and mind to convince the unwary that God's word is allegory instead of literal truth. Satan hates humanity and does everything within his power to separate believers from their loving creator. Number four, combat evil by loving and fearing God. He promises to protect. Those who go above and beyond will be rewarded as King Jesus' faithful ones, his overcomers. So, a few final questions. Did the church at Ephesus repent and return? Did they survive these thousands of years? Are they still going strong in the Lord's work today? The answer is no. The once great harbor at Ephesus is all dried up, and the city is covered in layers of silt. All that remains are a few ruins. So sad. And so, dear friends, take heed of the Holy Spirit-inspired Word of God today as you seek a deeper, personal relationship with Him. Thank you for joining me, and know that the Lord Jesus Christ loves you very much, and so do we. Until next week, may you be richly blessed. Amen and amen.